Uh, there's a, so that film's being premiered. There's one other that's coming out. I, I interviewed, uh, it was a busy week. I think it was um, some event that was going on in Phoenix and they asked me to interview with some lady and I, yeah, okay. So uh, I did and I barely remember it. We sat down and they had cameras and all that and asked me questions and I answered them. And then um, I went to America Fest and um, I was, someone came up to me and gave me something and they said, you know, we're so excited. And I said, great. And I, you know, I didn't really know who they were and trying to piece it together and that's my life a lot. And they gave me a really cool shirt. It said, uh, Beneath Sheep's Clothing had a really cool um, logo on it with a wolf underneath sheep's clothing and, and it fit really well, uh, which is helpful because, you know, you get older, you try to hide this. And, um, and I like the fit of it. And I wore it home and she says, that's a really cool shirt. Where'd you get it? I go, I don't know. Um, and then, uh, and, and then I was asked a question uh, by Ina who works with us and she said, you want to do something on this date? And she was working my schedule. I said, well, if I'm free and I'm in town in Phoenix, I'll do it. Just put it down, but make sure they know that I, I, if I'm called to do something else, I can't. And they said, okay. And then I'm, I'm in Phoenix doing something and I look at my calendar and it says that evening I'm supposed to be at a premiere at the Harkin Theater and I'm one of the VIPs um, and they list me with um, Trevor Loudon and Dr. James Lindsay and they're going to get pictures with Rob McCoy and I'm like, I'm supposed to be at this. I, so I, I, I drive with my friend Joey and we get there and I'm the only one not dressed up, which is typical. And, uh, and, and it's a premiere of this movie called uh, Beneath Sheep's Clothing. And I remember now, it's starting to come back to me. I remember meeting Julie. I remember the interview vaguely. Uh, I remember she was saying something about communism. I'm like, eh, that's a little, that's not going to take off, you know. I didn't know much about her, but I did it. And, um, and then I sit down, and I'm really wanting to go home. But from the beginning of the movie to the end, I was completely captivated. I've yet to see a movie that encapsulates what's occurred in America better than what I witnessed with that. And now um, with, with uh, letters to the American church coming out and Beneath Sheep's Clothing, um, I, I'm, I'm excited that the narrative will, will be turning. It already is. We're going to cover that today. And uh, these are exciting things. And I'm, I'm becoming um, a movie star. I... <laughs> And in every, every one of these I'm in, I'm like, man, you, you have a face for radio. You, <laughs> so, uh, but let's, let's pass out the Bibles. If you have a Bible, open up to Matthew 13. We're, um, in the Anchored Reading Series, we're, we're going through many of the parables of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And I absolutely love uh, Matthew. I love all the Gospels the Synoptic Gospels. I love them. They're, they're powerful. They're written by four different people. So it's like um, having somebody in a four-way stop and you have a witness on each corner and there's an accident and everyone gives their testimony of what they saw and some see it from different angles. And that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, different angles. And each of the Gospels deals with a different angle. Uh, Matthew looks at God's kingship, um, uh, John looks at the deity of Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, and so all of them have this. Mark is kind of like a Reader's Digest, quick version, you know, just you know, concise, and if you're really in a hurry, read Mark. Luke is from the perspective not of an apostle, but um, he is a, he's a physician, so you get a lot of medical terms, and uh, two of them deal with the, the lineage of Christ, one from the paternal and the other from the maternal to declare that he is from the lineage of David. And it's, they're all tremendous. Matthew, though, Matthew's Jewish. He's a, a Levite. He's also a tax collector. He's abandoned his people. God's given him grace. He's come back in. And his narrative is so insightful. And these parables are just, it's as though God is throwing gold coins. They're, they're very, very, very encouraging and strengthening to the believer and I pray today you'll be blessed as we take a look at two of them. So um, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. That's not a very long introduction. You guys got off easy. I want to find my passage. Oh, here we go. Actually, I, I didn't get the sheet with the... Okay, we're not going to have a sermon today. <laughs> no, I think I got them. Just give me a second. 
Oh, you're, you're seated and you're really upset about it. Yeah, I left the scriptures in my office. So uh, we'll just read from the screen. It's going to be verse 10 of Matthew 13. The disciples came and said to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, let me stop for a minute. A parable is uh, parabolos. It means come alongside, at parallel lines. They're next to each other. And, and it's this idea that God takes an earthly illustration through a story and, and parallels it, puts it alongside a heavenly truth. And so you hear the story and then you comprehend the truth. And that's the way that the Lord teaches. And, and that's what's called a parable. It's a story. He's, he's a storyteller. And, and the disciples say, why do you speak to them in these stories, these parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand." And we'll cover the parable of the wheat and the tares momentarily if uh, they're getting my cue and looking for my notes. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the folks that are here and those with the, the, within the hearing of my voice and those that constitute the largest portion of our congregation, those who are online. Uh, and Lord, though we, we can't physically see them in a sense, we are so grateful to call them our brothers and sisters in the Lord and the support that they give to God's speak and their faithfulness to you. God, we're grateful. And so this body of Christ, this fellowship of believers, Lord, I thank you that they love your word. And I ask that as we today study your word, that you would lead us into all truth and that you would bless us, that we would serve you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. It magically appeared. Grab a seat, if you would. Thank you, whoever did that with my eyes closed. Lovely. I want to read to you uh, an article from Jack Posobiec. Uh, some of you may or may not know the World Economic Forum. Um, it's Davos. The elites, globalists gather from all over the world to decide your fate, your, your worker drones, your... your uh, even, even Carnegie and, and Rockefeller were not true capitalists. Uh, they were the ones who wanted to design the public school system so that they could control your kids and they would be the worker drones and then the elites would live off of uh, the efforts of the masses. And they're having some struggles trying to conquer America, though they are hmm, making, a, they have greater success than they have in the history of our nation. Uh, this is a perilous time, um, but we're watching some things change. And fascinatingly enough, after the Iowa caucus, where every county went for one candidate, um, largest win in the history of that. And uh, they took notice that this is a candidate who is, um, <laughs> his name rhymes with stump. <laughs> this, is, this is a candidate they're attempting to indict and keep off the ballot. It's the last time um, an opposing party tried to keep a candidate off the ballot, uh, ballot was civil war. And it was a Democrat party trying to keep uh, their opponent off the ballot. And we lost 650,000 soldiers in battle as a result of them trying to circumvent the Constitution. And they're invoking um, a portion of the Constitution that has nothing to do with that. And uh, and so we're watching as there's a battle raging, there's a populist president who's contending, I guess, against the globalist elite for the sake of the common man. And a lot of folks are saying, well, I, I don't like him because he's caustic in his Twitters and he's, he's rude and he's bombastic and he's egotistical. And, and I just want you to know we're not voting for pastor in chief, we're voting for commander in chief. And I'm looking for someone who is gonna be the bodyguard of Western civilization. So at Davos, it's a gathering of the elites, Klaus Schwab, Yuval Hattari, who believes that the highest form of man is a hybrid between um, artificial intelligence, machinery, and flesh. It's, it is, 
it's Nazi-esque, to say the least. And you're all sleeping, you don't know this. You're, going, you're busy about raising your children. You're, you're busy about getting everybody to school, making sure there's food on the table. In a sense, we're asleep to what they're doing. They're busy orchestrating a number of things. And there was a report from Davos, and um, Jack Posobiec commented on it from one of the uh, reporters there. And the World Economic Forum, a.k.a. AKA, he wrote this, the League of Globalists, is taking place Friday, reiterating that the focus of the five-day gathering was overwhelmingly censorship and targeting X, which is Twitter, especially with uh, uh, Trump's victory at the Iowa caucus. Before the World Economic Forum began, they released a report pinning disinformation and misinformation as a number one risk for the next two years, leading censorship to be the underlying subject of every discussion throughout the week. Specifically, it was discussed that speech from the U.S. conspiracy theorists, by the way, that term conspiracy theorists came from the CIA to squelch and, and um, have folks negate any validity. It was an information, a disinformation attempt by the CIA to stop anyone from asking questions. And so that's where you get this term conspiracy theorists. Specifically, it was discussed that the speech from U.S. conspiracy theorists needed to be censored, especially with President Trump winning the Iowa caucus and the 2024 U.S. presidential elections on the horizon. Uh, MAGA or MAGA and President President Trump have been living rent-free in the heads of the people here at Davos throughout the week. And even though President Trump wasn't there, he was very much the center of conversation at Davos. Uh, Are they, in fact, scared and fearful of what they see coming out of places like Iowa this week? It's very much a spiritual battle that we're in, and these people are uh, scared. There are no other words to say that they're very much evil, and their agenda is absolutely evil. The globalist elites in attendance at the World Economic Forum referred to themselves as the guardians of trust, and they think they are the masters of the world despite being largely self-appointed. They're going to throw everything they can... Uh, at this election, whether it's disease, disease X, have you heard that one? I'm so excited. Collect them all. It's like blue chip stamps. It may be cyber attacks. Uh, They're continuing full steam ahead with the climate change narrative. But that said, they're certainly noticing us. They realize that so many of us are awake and are aware as to what they've been up to for a couple of centuries at least. Now, I share all this because the narrative is changing in many respects around uh, the country. Uh, we know uh, um, Siaka Masakoy and also um, uh, Mark Ibrahim and a number of others that were January 6th defendants um, were watching that narrative change. They've only released, I think it's um, about 90 hours of footage of over 40,000 that was taken at the Capitol, but even in the limited amount that Speaker of the House Mike Johnson has released, though he promised to release it all, and we're wondering why he hasn't. Um, we've, we've already ascertained, looking through all of that footage, that the pipe bomb scared, you remember that? Uh, they're, they're watching that narrative collapse because they saw the police uh, know, uh, knowingly aware of the pipe bomb, the pictures that were taken by the Capitol Police, and yet they're allowing children to walk by where it is. They're conversing with themselves. And the one who planted the pipe bomb, they have on video speaking to the police, going to the other side of the Secret uh, Service vehicle, speaking again, then speaking again, and then disappearing. And then the pipe bomb is planted. And then all of a sudden it's radioed in. And now that's an issue. And they, they're looking at this saying, well, they know who the guy is. He was obviously talking to them. And they're wondering why. They're wondering why Ray Epps hasn't uh, re- received a greater punishment when he's the only one who was inciting uh, tyranny um, at, at the January 6th event and the night before. And, uh, and so we're watching that. And then in addition, uh, Nancy Pelosi's sec- uh, security detail, the, the head of the security detail, testified for a Capitol Police officer that he watched the Proud Boys in a, um, a conversation that was antagonistic on three separate occasions. And then they're following only the 90 hours of footage. They're following the security detail of Nancy Pelosi never being in the building where the Proud Boys were and this Capitol Police officer. So he perjured himself, and that's the number one thing that got them arrested. It's similar to when I was brought before the judge on contempt charges, um, and we'd had, you remember this? We had the uh, health officers of the county out there in the car writing down all of you who were too close that weren't relatives. You remember that? And they were coming after, oh, that's good. We're going to get... 
And there was a couple that drove in from like, somewhere, not nearby, but they came because their church was shuttered and they came and they got here and it was pa- packed. And so they stayed in the parking lot and tuned into our FM low frequency station. And they just happened to park by these uh, health officials um, and, and they watched them, uh, no masks on, shoulder to shoulder in the vehicle talking. And, and then they get out, and they put their masks on and, oh, 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 oh. and then they get back in and take off the mask. And we asked uh, at, at, on the stage, oh, and by the way, that happened. They got pictures of it. <laughs> Isn't that great? We have pictures of it. Well, you're clapping, but the judge didn't care. We had pictures of it. And then the following week, uh, another set of health officials came and did the same thing. Mask off in the car. Blah, 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 and then put the mask on. Oh, we're going to get you. And, and they all testified and, they, and were asked questions. And they said, yes, have you ever? No, I haven't. Is this you in the picture? And that should have just ended the trial. They perjured themselves. And the judge didn't even respond to it. it it's, it's, it's tragic what's happening. It would be ex- exponentially worse if a number of judges, it, it was the most judges appointed by any president in recent history, thank God, when President Trump was in position, and that's staving off uh, this, this overwhelming attack at our judiciary. But, but here we have a, a, a perjury that's placed people in jail, and some of these January 6th defendants, no charges have been brought up, and they've been placed in prison for over three years. This is, this is tragic. Well, the narrative's changing, and we're contending, and you're saying, what does this have to do with the Bible? A lot. A lot. I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) You see, the purpose of the parables are stories. Stories. I'm telling you a story and you're listening. And you're wondering, what what is the moral aspect of that story? You're you're seeing outrage. Some of you are frustrated by it. Some of you have a different position. You're saying, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. And I took time to define for you conspiracy theorists. You can do your own homework. And some of you don't want to listen. You're hard-hearted. You're upset that you're even here. And, and that's really what the Lord was dealing with. He, he spoke the parables on behalf of those that didn't want anything to do with them. Because if he began to address issues from a political position or along those lines, people would immediately say, oh, you're one of them. But a story tells something to people because all of us long for something more than what we have We all want to raise families. We all want an abundant life. Some are warped, and that's not part of the equation. But but in this world, there is truth and there are lies. And in the parables that we've been studying through the Anchored Reading Series, one of them was the the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils, there are four types of soils, and the, the man went out to sow the seed, and some landed on hard ground. It was trampled underfoot. And the birds ate it. Others, uh, you know, uh, there was rocks underneath. It was shallow soil. It grew up, but it couldn't sustain itself because the roots wouldn't go deep, deep, and it withered. And then the other was planted in a field, but it was near uh, weeds. And then the weeds choked out the wheat. And then there was a, a quarter of it, a portion of it, that was in well-tilled soil, and it produced uh, uh, 50, 100-fold return. And, and that's a picture. The, 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 the seed is the word of God. And the word of God goes out, and it, it, it doesn't find any fertile ground in the shallow, hardened heart. It doesn't find any ground in the, in the shallow uh, area. There's a hardening in the shallow area. But it also, there's some of you where it does take root and starts to grow, but you get so consumed by the cares of the world that it chokes out any desire of faith and a desire to serve God. You start getting fearful and worried. And, and I, I watched this. There was one person in particular, they've since moved uh, to another region of the state, Idaho, I believe, they were fervent for the Lord, um, and, and yet they got choked out by the cares of the world. And, and when our fellowship started standing in defiance to the county and the governor, uh, they didn't want anything to do with it. Um, one of their, their, their spouse got the shot and now is dealing with heart issues. And, and now looking back, they, they lament having done that. And I'm, I'm not one to say, I told you so. I look at that as that's what happens to a believer. They get choked out by the cares of the world. You get, a, you get scared, you get afraid. And, and you, you yield to the narrative of lies. But there are those of you who say, you know what? Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. And that, that's a quote from Farragut, I believe it was. He was an admiral in the U.S. Navy. So if you're upset about me cussing, it's his fault. Go ahead and blame him. He's dead. <laughs> 
And, and this idea where you stand in, in regards to it, you, you know, the apostle Paul says, none of these things move me. None of them. And this is a man who was facing, you know, death by, ro- or, uh, by, by robbers and perils at sea, shipwrecked, bitten by vipers. He was stoned and whipped and beaten. And yet he just, none of these things move me. He's, he's, he's in fertile soil. He's producing much fruit. And that fruit still continues from his writings as we, we quote him and his faithfulness to the Lord to be a conduit so that we would receive truth. And our lives have been mightily affected by his faithfulness and that fruit still is bearing and that is fertile soil. Well, Jesus tends to speak to the world and wants to get their attention. He wants them to know that his word is true. He wants to speak to the hardened heart. He wants to speak to the shallow heart. He wants to speak to the one who's choked by the cares of the world. He wants you to be fruitful. And yet, the disciples still didn't understand the purpose of the stories. Why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you speak to them in parables? The Lord would go on to describe more of that, but for sake of time, you'll have to read that on your own. But I want to get to the parable of the tares. And that is in Matthew 13, verses 36 to 43, if you turn in your Bibles. Verse 36 says, Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of all the kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm looking around the room. You all have ears. That's good. Now, this parable of the tares explained. It's important for us because the parable of the tares is while they slept, while a man slept, the evil one came and scattered the seeds of the tares amongst his wheat. You see, while we're busy raising families, evil never sleeps. It's working for, for, for generations. You wonder how the communist purposes are still enacted that began with you know every single philosopher that put this mess together and you go through Stalin and, and, and uh, this, this mess that has been thrust upon us. All of, all of them that started it are dead and you're wondering why hasn't it died with them when billions of people have died? Because evil redesigns itself to accomplish the same purposes. For example, we no longer use the term socialism because people are, are, are mindful of that. Now we call it Democrat socialism, which is the gateway to communism. Our, our founders, and, and you hear this from, from folks, we need, to, we need to protect the democracy. Our founders hated the word democracy. This is not a democracy in, in the sense that we, 50, 51% of the people vote one way, 49% of the people vote another way. That's a democracy. That's not what our founders in, in, established for us. They gave us a constitutional republic. They knew that a democracy would evolve into a group of people asserting themselves over another. And then they would get the mob to agree, and it's mob rule. And, and we, we follow that out of fear. And, and this is what occurs. And so this idea of socialism is, is bad. So we call it democrat socialism, which is no different. It's just we're throwing the word democracy into it because that's the only thing we're aware of. And we become ignorant and dull. And, and the Lord is speaking and he's wanting us to wake up to the gift he's given us in a constitutional republic where there's, there's never been a nation in the 6,000 years of recorded history that's had more freedom than the United States of America. And let me say this again, and I say it often, but you need to understand you will be judged individually before the Lord at the end, whether it's you breathe your last on this earth or a rapture where you're taken, 
or however that occurs for time to exist. There needs to be a beginning and an end and all of us will face the end. And at that end, the Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. All, all religions lead to God. Only one religion leads to heaven. You see, we're all gonna stand before God and give an accounting of our life. But if we're covered in the blood of Christ, our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And we enter in to the presence of the Lord. If we're not covered in the blood of Christ and we've rejected that because we want to get in on our own merit, there are none righteous or none good. No, not one. And, and listen, you can say, well, I'm better than Rob McCoy. Well, that's great. That's not hard to do. The, the issue is, yeah, thank you. I appreciate the giggle. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I'm not the standard. God is. And, and none will survive that. None. None. So you're judged individually whether or not you receive Christ as your Savior. And Christ is the one, not me. Christ is the one who said, I am the, the means exclusive. I and no other. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me in that sense. So, so he, he is the only way to heaven. His blood covered the multitude of your sins, past, present, and future. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for there are none righteous, no, not one. That's a no-brainer. You can never obtain the righteousness that would enter you into heaven by your own effort. You can only receive what Christ has done on your behalf, and it's a gift, and a gift must be received. Now, that's the individual. Nations, however, will be judged corporately on whether or not they allowed their citizenry access to truth, period. And if they didn't, they will be judged in the ash heap of history where you have watched countless regimes destroyed over the years. You, you remember the Nazi, the, their idea that, that it would be the thousand-year reign of the Reich. It lasted, what, 12 years? They're, they fell a little short. And here they are being put on trial in the Nuremberg trials. And they're trying to blame that the fact that they were following orders. And you know, that, that doesn't hold water when you are accountable before God and you have been instrumental in the death of six million Jews who were gassed and incinerated. It doesn't work. You can't say, well, I was told to do that. You have a conscience. Now that may be seared, but you can't blame it on following orders. You see, the reason why you were following orders is because you were too afraid of standing for the truth and the consequences that would come. And if you can't stand for truth when the consequences are light, what makes you think you'll stand for the truth when the consequences are greater? And if you don't stand for the truth now, your children will face consequences far more intense than what you've faced. I've asked this a thousand times and I'll ask it a thousand more times. Anyone who took the shot, did you take it because you believed in its efficacy or did you take it because you wanted to keep your job? That is a lie and you were afraid of the consequences of that and that has affected your children and your grandchildren, your unwillingness to stand for truth. Well, how was I gonna provide for my family? The, the Lord will meet our needs and the riches of Christ exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. I'm watching as folks who have stood are, are now in a place where God is abundantly blessing them. Now that's not always gonna be the case. Our reward is in heaven and that's where we store it, where moth and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. But Jesus was trying to get through, not just to the disciples, he was trying to speak to the, the entire population in general. You see, the word of God was scattered, and that is supposed to speak to the believers, and the believers rise up in, in the parable of the soils. But in this case, he is speaking of the world. It's not the church, as many scholars would look at in, in Matthew 13, trying to say that, 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 that this is the church. It wasn't religious at Jesus. He's talking about the world that is battling for, for, for truth and lies. There's a reason why the World Economic Forum wants the number one thing on their agenda to be censorship. The truth is never, let me say this, the truth is never afraid of a lie. But a lie can't survive in the presence of truth. You must suppress the truth in order to put forward your propaganda. And the only way that happens is when people are asleep. Now you, you must... You must wake up. Your children's future is, 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 is on, on, at, at stake. 
And if you look at this parable of the wheat and the tares, if you look at this parable and you say, well, this is the end times, there'll be a rapture, God removes the righteous before he places judgment on the earth. Is that what they were saying in the Soviet Union when the church collapsed and they were burning priests and killing them and raping the nuns? You you, you aren't the arbiter of when the end comes. You are to be faithful and occupy until he comes. That's the call of the Lord upon our lives. We can't use eschatology, thank you if there's somebody clapping, you can't use eschatology as justification for apathy. It doesn't work that way. The Antichrist isn't God's equal. He can be thwarted by God's people rising up. You can make a difference. Do you understand this? Why do you speak to us in parables? The way Jesus used parables prompted the disciples to ask this. It was, it was an illustration of a spiritual truth as I described. The same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. And so the very same gospel message that humbles the honest heart and leads to repentance may also harden the heart of the dishonest listener and confirm that one in their path of disobedience. I love what Barclay says. He says the parable conceals truth from those who are either too lazy to think or too blinded by prejudice to see it puts a responsibility fairly and squarely on the individual. It reveals truth to him who desires truth. It conceals truth from him who does not wish to see the truth. You, you can tell somebody the sky is blue and they'll say, no, it isn't. It's not. You, 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 it, 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 there are folks where you say there's two genders. No, there isn't. You say, can you show me one example in the history of the world where a biological male has become a biological female in every capacity other than mutilation? No. Can a biological male give birth? Can you, can you show me a biological male in the history of the world who's given birth? If you, put, if you put transgendered biological males on an island by themselves and come back in 100 years, there'll be bones. Yet, yet we educate our children with that and nobody steps up to say anything, not here, but around the country, nobody. It's a lie. But we want to be liked. We don't like the consequences of truth. We want to be liked. And, the, and yet the Lord wants us to stand for truth. And so, for whoever has, to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The idea is that those who are open to the sense, and sensitive to spiritual truth more will be given through parables, yet to those who are not open, who do not have, these ones will end up in an even worse condition. We're watching as, you know, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Uh, who's the tennis player that refused to get the clot shot and they wouldn't let him into the Australian Open? Dijovic, is that how you pronounce his name? Thank you. And there was, there, there, there was a reporter that had been reporting for over 30 years in the sports world. He was renowned. And for whatever reason, maybe he was paid off. It was like, you know, C.D. Lamb of the, of the Cowboys. I, I just had to say it. Yeah. I mean, a man who never drops anything. It's like, really? What's happened? It was awful. Where was I? Okay. But this reporter used to report on sports, but now everything has to be woke. And so he went after this, this, this tennis player, started to mock his face, started to mock his stupidity as though he was, he, and, and, and wanted, wanted to cancel him. And that tennis player stood his ground and, 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 and was gracious in the process of it. And mysteriously, this reporter has died during the Australian Open. And whenever they say mysterious causes or un unknown causes, clot shot. Some of you disagree with that. Oh, really? W w then explain to me why there's a 28% increase in death in Ventura County. That, that should have been a catastrophic event. That means that war broke out. We, and, and, it's, and it's not old people, it's young people. The number of deaths are rising. Insurance companies and the actuary tables and that's across the country. And this is USA Today reporting stuff like this. 
Why is that? And why did it happen in the middle of, of, of 2021 when they began to, to tell you you're going to lose your job if you don't get the clot shot? That's how it works. Some of you have it. Don't take any more. God has been gracious. You're alive. Stay with the process. And, and, and so the, the more you follow this line, the quicker death comes. And you know what? Evil doesn't care if you're, if you're, if you're one, one of its agents. When they're done with you, they'll, they'll get rid of you. It's like the industrial war complex with our soldiers. They'll put them in harm's way. They'll get their profit. They'll abandon, they'll abandon everything in Afghanistan that, that they worked hard for. And, and they'll leave all of our citizenry and our assets hanging in the wind. Because evil, when it's done with you, will leave you to die. When you go into partnership with the devil, you're going to find out real quick you're a junior partner. And, and this is the picture. Spurgeon said, they did not really see what they saw nor hear what they heard. The plainer the teaching, the more they were puzzled by it. How can there be two genders? I just, it doesn't make sense. Because we have a lot of alphabets in the LGBTQZ and LGQZ. Now they're going to start using numbers. They're run out of the 26 letters. And, and you need to use the right pronouns. Well, my pronouns are shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just out of control. Here's the parable that we speak of. Another parable Jesus put forth to them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, that's what's happened. We've just been asleep. We haven't been mindful. We haven't been guarding our family. Some say, you know, I don't believe in guns. The Bible says a man who doesn't provide for his family is less than an infidel. They're going to come barreling down your door to, to, to kill your family and do unspeakable things to your, your spouse, your, your wife, and your kids. And you're going to go, I am a pacifist. You come into my home, you will get a high-speed lead infusion to the cranium, chest and cranium. I, I have a Glock for the flock. Our security detail is prepared. And, and that, that is providing for your family. You don't sleep. You, you, have, to be, you have to be vigilant. His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest and at that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. It's a picture of the end times. You say, this, Pastor, that's proof of a rapture. Okay, okay. But I also know other times in history where evil was very apparent at the end of the harvest. It's called World War II. We saw this juggernaut of Nazis and communists and we saw what they were doing to humanity and we fought to stop it. We delivered the world. America has kept the shipping lanes open. We've contended. And, and this, this, this powerhouse of America, the greatest freedom any nation's ever experienced and has been the defender of truth, is now internally cancered. And you're wondering who's who and what's what. Some of you are, Nikki Haley's going to be the next candidate. And, she's, and then all of a sudden you start realizing, she's, who is this person? And you're wondering, have they been inserted by the globalists? You're wondering in Washington, is there anyone we can even trust? And, and the ones you can, they come after them like you can't imagine. There's a handful that I, I, I would allow to babysit my children. The rest of them, I, I would rather them be in prison. And I... But, but here's the part. The enemy came 
and sowed tares among the wheat. This parable describes the work of the enemy who tried to destroy the work of the man who sowed the seed in his field. The enemy's purpose is sowing tares among the wheat. It was destroy the wheat. But the wise farmer would not allow the enemy to succeed. Instead, the farmer decided to sort it out at harvest time. Thank you, God. Now, guess what? Most of you in this room, the lion's share are wheat. A couple tares in here. And you're sticking out like a sore thumb. A church typically has more wheat than it has tares, not always, but most of the time, one of the reasons why is because we apply discipline. I, I won't, in the course of 20 plus years of ministry, we've had a couple of occasions where a spouse has cheated on their spouse, it's become evident, and, and uh, um, it's grounds for divorce, and they've had enough, and, and, and they, they, they're threatened, and both come to church. Well, now that we know the story, we tell to the offending spouse, we say, I'm sorry, you can't be here. It's my church. No, it's not your church. It's God's church. And you must go. You can repent. You can apologize. You, you, can, you, can, you can seek to restore, but you can't come in here brazenly in sin that's known and documented and call this your fellowship. It doesn't work that way. There's some of you currently who are in the midst of that. It hasn't been discovered. Bible says your sins will find you out. And, and, and listen, if these parables and these stories and my, my conversation with you is touching your heart, then please, in, in the secret, private, and public sin, in the privacy of that sin, please repent. Please. We want you as we to the end. We don't want you choked out and destroyed. It's killing you. It's killing you. It's killing your family. Stop. It's not good. This parable clearly describes corruption among the people of God, just as in the previous parable, the wheat represents the people of God. Some corrupting influence is brought, and an influence that may look genuine, even as tares may resemble real wheat. You know, we are in the world, but not of the world. And we look around, and some folks we think are with us are not. And they appear to be with us, but as we mature and get older, all of a sudden you go, whoa, there's a difference here. You see, wheat, and tares look very similar when they're young. They're hard to distinguish when they're young. And this is when, before they're fully ripe. The weeds are probably Darnell, a poisonous plant related to wheat and virtually indistinguishable from it until the ears form. And what happens in the end? You see, the older we get, the more mature we become. And you know how you can discern wheat from tares? One stands in pride and the other bound, bows in humility. The wheat bows and the tares stand up. Who is God that I should obey him? I don't need God. You pathetic, weak Christians, look at you. You're bowing into submission to a deity. How remarkably stupid. You need to be wiped off the face of the earth. So they go after the churches, the educated. Those are the ones they destroy when evil saturates the field. But God, the wise farmer, recognized that the ultimate answer to tares among wheat would only come at the final harvest. You know what's good about this? And I say it, and I mean it, People are not the enemy. They're the opportunity. The Bible says, pray for kings and those in authority that we would live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. It doesn't say, pray for kings and those in authority who are believers. The Bible says that we're content for truth. Cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck, cast in the deepest ocean. How will they know unless someone tells them, the scripture says? We're to speak. You speak the truth in love. Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. You have to balance it. But you speak. You speak truth, and you're not afraid of the consequences because you're in the fertile soil. The consequences of truth doesn't move you. Scare me, frighten me, take away all that I have. It doesn't matter. I've already given that to God. And anything given to God first will never be lost. 
I am here to contend for your eternal salvation and I will not, I will not stop declaring the truth for your sake though you despise it. You are not my enemy. The ideology that entraps you and enslaves you is my enemy. You understand? That way, it's not us versus them. God wants us to love our enemies and to do good to, do good to those who spitefully use us. Politics, in its most debased form, wants to eviscerate an opponent. You like to win. Judge me all you want. I do it for purposes that are hard to explain. But I did watch that bout last night at UFC. I don't watch it through the year. But I watch it because I listen to them and, I, and there's some believers that are in the midst of this. And it, it's, it's brutal and, and awful. But at the conclusion of it, I was watching as one opponent said to the other, thank you for pushing me to be the best that I could be. One of the things I learned as being an athlete is you compete in such a way that your opponent and your teammate are both Jesus. You want to elevate them. So if they're going to beat you today, they're going to have to bring their best. I want you to excel, and if you're going to beat me, you're going to have to really do your best. And that's the joy of competition. Uh, is it Stroud, the, the quarterback for um, uh, Houston? Yeah, the Texans. He's on NBC, and he says, I want to give thanks to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and then he goes into the remaining, and they, they edited him praising the Lord. Censorship. How do we get this Jesus garbage out? You see, that, that is a name that frightens them. It's like turning on a light in a barn. The rats scurry and the birds sing. They, they, they screech at the name of Jesus. Get it that now! That's going out to the country. Oh, but the person editing is not my enemy. In my opportunity. Those of you who work in the industry, you know them. God has placed you strategically to minister to them. Did you know that there were believers in the household of Caesar? Huh. Could you imagine after that revelry party, walking through and cleaning up in the household of Caesar, what you would witness and see? The debauchery. I don't tolerate any of that. I will not have anything to do with it. No one needs to be in a We're going to move to Montana in a gated with AR-15s and canned goods. <laughs> I have read the scriptures and I have yet to see that. The monastic style of Christianity died a long time ago. You are wheat among tares. Do your job. Amen. And I love this passage in Matthew 13. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables and without a parable he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And as he tells these stories their eyes begin and their ears begin to awaken. It takes time but then they begin to soften. And things are caught, not taught. They are amazed by the ones they persecute that love them. The fascinating thing in Beneath Sheep's Clothing is this woman who produced it went to Russia when the wall came down, was so moved in her mission that she came back to Florida State University, got two master's degree in Russian studies, did her thesis for her doctorate on the persecuted church in Russia, communist Russia. And she said, the Christians in the Soviet Union were never bitter. They realized that they had been placed to minister in the darkest place of the world. The purity of their faith was unlike anything we seldom see in the U.S., and that's what's so powerful. What what God's doing is as as, as we're maturing, we're starting to, to see the lines form. 
In this we see that the parable of the tares changes the figure slightly from the parable of the soils. In the parable of the soils, the seed represents the word of God. Here it represents true believers. The point of the parable is completely different. The parable of the soil shows how men receive and respond to the word of God. And the parable of the tares of the field shows how God will divide his true people from false believers at the end of the age. God's still scattering his seed through the wheat that produces its fruit, and that is you and me. And we are in the midst of tares. Quit whining. This is a fallen world. We're on a broken blue marble. But we've been appointed for such a time as this, and it's a great time to be alive. I mean, it's, it's easy. You can see them standing up straight at Davos. And you're worshiping the Lord, and you're, you're serving, and, and you're, 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 you're loving your enemies in, 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 in sacrificial service. I mean, the, the, the proof of it is you're in California still. You haven't left, God bless you. I was on the plane flying over to Phoenix, and it was a cattle car. And, and, and planes, I mean... The air industry right now through DEI. You know what that is? Diversity, equity, inclusion. I want to hire you because of the melanin content of your skin or your sexual preference. Forget about, you know, because the controls of an airplane are really moved by that. (laughs) And so with this DEI infiltrating our, our, our... air system. I mean, the landings I've experienced, I'm, I'm really thinking God may take me home this way, but I, I have to fly that way. And I'm serious. I'm wondering, is that an aircraft carrier pilot? Did he get the tail hook on the way? Bam, bam. And, and the planes are packed because, you know, no one can afford to fly. And so they have less, less flights. And I'm seated in there and I, I got on first, thank God on the Southwest, which is my company plane. And, and I, I'm, <laughs> And I got that one seat by the, you know, exit. I'm stretched out. And a man sits next to me, and there's a woman out here, and, and he's talky and broad-shouldered, and I'm squeezed in there because I'm broad-shouldered, but I'm serving, you know, because that's what I do. <laughs> and, uh, and they were talking, and he says, where are you from? And she says it, and then he says it. My hearing's real bad, but I heard Thousand Oaks. I go, Thousand Oaks? He goes, yeah, I'm from Thousand Oaks. You know, I've been there since 68 or 73, I can't remember. I think he, 68 see me and 73 uh, moved here. And we started talking and, and, uh, and, and he goes, you look familiar. And I, I said, well, I was the mayor of the city. And he goes, that's right. I, I think I saw your picture in the post office. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't know who this guy is and I'm, I'm hesitant to, and he, he says, who'd you vote for? <laughs> no, no, no. Who are you going to vote for? And I go, it'd be a lot easier for me to tell you who I'm not going to vote for. <laughs> and, and I still, I was trying to, who are you before we get into this? Because I still got another 50 minutes next to you. And uh, he'd served in the military. We started talking. And I started to realize this is a sweet man. He's raised his family. His kids are they love him, been faithful to his wife. And, and he, he said, I just want to tell you, I, I appreciate the stand that you make. I was a Seventh-day Adventist, and I became a Jehovah's Witness, and then I realized I was a bunch of junk, so I just walked away. I worship at home. I said, I know a lot of real faithful believers that do the same, but if you ever want to come and God speak, he goes, I might darken the doors of that place, but... <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you. I said, well, thanks for the encouragement. We had just a really sweet talk. And, and, and you, you realize folks like that, God's placed into your life. And, and you, you have a chance to subtly minister to them. And, and, and take every opportunity to do that. And someone was asking me one time, I was, I was actually just recently, I was back in Charlotte, North Carolina at Freedom House Church which joined us early on, uh, Troy and Penny Maxwell, to contend, and they're in a very liberal district, district in North Carolina. And in three short years, they have become a powerhouse of transforming their, their county uh, by going to school board meetings and educating their, their congregation and watching as they're making an enormous difference and an impact in this area. Now they've got four campuses, and God is just just 
doing mighty things through this precious couple. And they had me do a freedom night in America. So I did the Sunday services and I stuck around for Tuesday where they do a freedom night in America and Charlie's gonna do it this next month. And at the end, we did question and answer. And um, a lady comes up, she's a school teacher. She says, how do, I, how do I minister in my school district? And I knew she sincerely wanted to know. And she was a real, real lovely black lady that just placed in a kind of an inner city school, but really felt like God placed her there. And she, she, is, she is wheat amongst tares. And I, I said, a servant speaks when they're spoken to. They offer their opinion when they're asked. And I told her a couple stories when I was on the council of how God gave me inroads into speaking into lives of what people would consider, you know, my nemesis or opponents, but they were my friends. And, and as I, I listened to her, I, I then said, you know, the other thing I want to tell you is if, if, you, if you want to reach somebody, Remember this. They don't want to know about you. They want you to know about them. And if you ask them questions about their life, they'll give you a roadmap to their heart. And I told her the story. Some of you heard it, but others haven't, and so I'll repeat it. And even if you all heard it, I'll still repeat it. It was early on. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was still working in San Jose, and, and we were dirt poor. We were given two weeks of vacation. And I, I really need to spend time with the kids. At the time, we had three. So I rented a tent trailer. And I had an old Suburban that was jacked up. And the brakes were bad. So I, I, I drove up to Jedediah Smith uh, up near Crescent City, California, at the border, Oregon, California. These beautiful redwoods. And the brakes are squeaking real bad. And I, we go to church that Sunday, and the guy says, you know, I, I was telling about my brakes. You know, and he goes, yeah, I, I do brakes. You can bring the, the, your car by. I'll work on it tomorrow. I'm like, serious? He goes, yeah. I go, praise the Lord. The one guy I'd sit next to, he, he runs a brake shop. And, um, and I, I take my Suburban in. And he says, just leave it with me. You can use my old pickup truck out there to go back to the campsite. And it was an old pickup truck. <laughs> but thank God it was a blessing. And so I drive it in the campsite. I come back and, and it's not quite finished yet, but he told me when to come. And, and, and there was, I could see my car was behind a Geo Metro. So my, my suburban's here, but my, there's a Geo Metro in front of it up on, the, uh, up on the lift. And there's one lady in the waiting room and we're both sitting there. And I figure, well, okay, Lord, what are we gonna do? I said, are, are, you, are you from here? She goes, yeah, I moved here some time ago. Oh, really, where'd you move from? Now, I'm asking the questions, you see? I go, where'd you move from? She goes, I, I moved from Modesto. I go, Modesto? And you don't go, I love that place. You don't, don't do that. No commentary when you ask questions. You go, Modesto? And, and when did you move? And she said, when it became just so crazy conservative, churches everywhere and... These right-wing fundamentalist suburban driving yuppies. <laughs> and she said, I'm a teacher. And I, I, and I said, well, how did you pick this area to move to? I, I wasn't insulted. I go, well, no. I just said, well, why did you pick this area to move to? Because, you know, it's a funny story. I go, I got time. And she giggled. And she said, well, I opened a map. And I saw all these Indian heads up in this area for reservations. And I thought, this has to be a spiritual place. And so I moved here. I go, well, how'd that work out? She goes, they're a bunch of drunks. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. And she said, my daughter's going through nightmares, she's miserable and we're struggling. And, and, you know, and, and then she asked me a couple questions. I started kind of, when she asked me, I started offering my opinion on how to minister to kids and she was touched by it. And then she started asking me more questions. I started telling more things and she was at a point of tears and, and, uh, and, and she said, you know, I, I want to protect the environment. And that's my Geo Metro up there. And, and I, I just, I, I'm trying to do the best thing I can. And it just seems like it's not working. And, and she says, you just seem like you're all put together. And you have a family. I go, yeah. And, and that was kind of, 
you know, she didn't want me to expound, so I didn't. And then, you know, she had more things to share and I listened and I just listened. And then they came out and they said, your car's ready. And, and she said, you know, my car's ready and I've so enjoyed meeting you. And I, she said, I, you know everything about me. I don't know anything about you as her car's lowering. I go, well, I'm, I'm a right-wing evangelical fundamentalist minister. And that's my suburban right there. And she laughed and we hugged. And the teacher heard that and, and she knows that she's wheat among tares and so are you. Do it right and, and, and no, no excuses. Produce fruit, love on these folks. God's gonna do a great thing in the end but in the meantime, let's work until he comes. In Jesus' name, amen.